0: If you have your Bibles with you, would you turn to the book of Ephesians? We've been working through the book of Ephesians verse by verse, and we are nearing the end. We are in chapter six. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible. There's a stack of Bibles over on the table there. Uh, feel free to go grab one anytime in the service or on your way out. We would love to give that to you. If you don't have a Bible that uh, is in a translation that you can read, we would uh, be... It would be a joy to give that to you. We're so grateful for God's word that we have it, that it has been uh, maintained through the centuries. Uh, Many people have given their lives to the translation and distribution of God's word, and we have it so readily here, but so many around the world don't have it. Uh, And so it really is a privilege to have it. So let's hear God's word together. Ephesians chapter 6, if you're new to the Bible... Uh, Chapter is the big number, and verses are the small number. So if you find the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, big number, we're going to be going through verses just 1 to 4 let Let's hear God's word. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We've been going through the book of Ephesians. We've been talking a lot about the gospel. Uh, Not just in the book of Ephesians, but here at Heritage Grace Church, we talk a lot about the gospel. Gospel means good news. and We've considered a lot how the gospel affects everything. Once we consider the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, that affects everything. And we've seen that broadly in the way that we live our lives, and we've seen that lens zoom in and in and in. And we talked last week about our marriages. We've considered uh, relationships. And this morning, as you heard from our Scripture reading, we're talking about parenting. And so we're talking about gospel-shaped parenting. Jim Gaffigan is a comedian, and uh, whether you're a comedian fan or not, in one of his bits, uh, he has five kids, and he talks about uh, how he answers the question if someone comes and says, what's it like having five kids? He says, well, imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. That's his description of, of what it's like to have five kids. Obviously, that's a joke. But all jokes have a little bit of truth to them. And so you don't need to have five kids to know that it can sometimes feel like drowning. And maybe kids, you know, you know sometimes when you're told to do something and you don't want to do it, it feels like you're drowning too. And I think that's because parenting and being parented is very unnatural for us. It's very unnatural, like drowning. That's an unnatural experience. We don't naturally obey, kids, right? Yeah, we don't naturally obey. That doesn't come easy to us. We don't have to be taught to disobey. That comes naturally. But parents, I'm talking to you too. We don't naturally love sacrificially. Parenting, yes, there's some affirmation happening over here. We got to talk to you guys. No. Uh, But parenting and being parented is unnatural. And that's an internal thing because it is unnatural for us. But there's also external assaults on us right now too. This external battle. An all-out assault from screens and schools and social media. That our kids are inundated with different information that makes this obedience and this walking and, and growing in the discipline and instruction of the Lord very hard. And that's true for us, too, as parents and as adults. Our worldview is being affected by the world around us. Now, these four short verses, Ephesians 6, 1 to 4, they give us guidance that is very clear, very clear and even, I would say, very simple. But I think we would all agree that simple doesn't necessarily mean Easy. And so I want to be careful because it's easy when we talk about parenting to just slip into good advice. There's a lot more happening to parenting in this passage than simply good advice. It's like marriage. We talked about last week. There's a secret to a healthy marriage and a God-glorifying marriage, but there really is a secret to the secret that the gospel changes us. It must change us. And because we've received a love that we could never, ever deserve or explain, we can therefore, by God's grace, give a love that is not deserved or even explainable. And this is how we need to be thinking about parenting and being parented for the kids. The gospel changes the way we live. Again, we see the context of Ephesians chapter 6 is still coming off of the tail end of, obviously, Ephesians chapter 5, but specifically that kind of thesis statement in Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, we considered last week marriage, now this week parenting, and Lord willing, next week bond servants and masters. These are all examples of how we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We've seen this through the the whole book of Ephesians, that the first three chapters were really gospel explanation, and these final three chapters are gospel application, And so a passage like this can be, again, very clear, but in its clarity can also be deeply convicting. We may come to this passage as children and say, wow, it says I need to obey my parents. I spend most of my day not obeying my parents. Maybe as parents, you look at this, you know, do not provoke your children to anger. I spend my days provoking my children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Maybe I've neglected to do that. Maybe I've distanced myself from my children so much that I'm, I'm failing to even raise them at all. Uh, Tony Merida is a pastor, and he was telling a story of two uh, theologians, two seminarian professors. They sat down, and they were talking, and the one was saying, how are, you know? at your young age have you written so many of these commentaries and books and resources and traveled all around the world? And the other professor mumbled under his breath, I sacrificed my son. And the other was, What are you talking about? And almost angrily, the other professor came back and said, I sacrificed my son. I put these other things up. You know, the ambitions of the world, even serving the Lord, became the altar that his family was sacrificed on and that he neglected to do these things. And so I get that that's a troubling feeling. And as we come to passages like this, it can be troubling. But the good news that it's not just good advice. It's anchored in the good news of the gospel. That all of these things, being parented and parenting, we must do in the Lord. Apart from that, we're doomed. We're doomed to fail. And so I hope this is a good reminder for us, but that you're encouraged. That there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As we consider what it means to parent and be parented, We would consider the gospel. And so our big idea this morning, our big idea is this, parent and be parented in the Lord. Parent and be parented in the Lord. Sounds simple, but it's not easy. Would you pray with me? God, would you help us as we come to your word? Would you convict us where we need convicting and comfort us where we need comforting? Lord, this morning I pray specifically for the children here, that they would understand the why of obedience even more than the what of obedience. For parents, God, would you help us to feel the weight of parenting, but to cast that weight on you, to know that we cannot save our children. We are sinners, too, and desperately in need of a Savior. Father, this morning, too, as we go to this passage, I want to pray for those who have or are struggling with infertility, for those who have lost children, this can be a hard passage to consider. Lord, would you comfort them as they wait on you? And for our whole church, Lord, would we see discipling our children as a corporate responsibility, something that we all need to do and contribute to whether we have children or not. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want to consider from these four verses is more implicit than explicit, but I don't think that means it doesn't matter. And so our first point is this, that children matter. Children matter. The book of Ephesians is a short book. It's a letter that was written to the church in Ephesus, the, the churches in Asia Minor. It's only 155 Verses. There's no wasted words. But Paul takes time to speak about children, about parenting. I think it's really significant. He doesn't just speak about children, he speaks to children. This is significant for a lot of reasons. Children had no status at the time. The more and more I read about how children were treated in the Greco-Roman world, it just gets worse and worse. They had no status, especially girls. And so it's really notable, and many scholars have pointed out in my study, that the fact that he addresses children, not just young men or boys, the fact that he addresses children is deeply profound and countercultural. But he addresses children. Now, other... Letters and other documents that we have from that time have what we call household codes, where they would go and talk through marriage and parenting and uh, being a master to slaves or to being a, a boss or an employer of some sort. But it always, always addresses the, the one that's in authority, never addresses the one who's under authority. And so it's really significant, this and other letters that we have, where Paul not only talks about children, but talks directly to, to children. And so this is a passage, kids, that is addressed directly to you. Now, I don't want to overemphasize that because the whole Bible is for you, not just four verses or three verses that speak to you specifically. The whole Bible is for you. The whole Bible is for all ages. And so, kids, I want to encourage you with this. As we think about God's word, as we think about the Bible, there are parts that are trickier than others, and that's true for grownups too. There's parts that you're gonna to get to that make a little bit less sense and there's gonna be parts that are very, very clear. And so this morning we're in a section that is very, very clear. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Doesn't get much clearer or more direct than that but I wanna encourage you that the whole Bible is for you. Don't wait until you're a grown up. Don't wait until you think you can get it all together to read the Bible. Just start reading the Bible. Open it up. If you don't have one, we would love to get one for you. God's word is for you. He gave us his word to know him more. And this is a good reminder for all of us here at HGC, that God's word, these truths are not just for us, they are for our children. This is a good reminder that children matter a lot to God. We see this in Jesus' earthly ministry. When his disciples are trying to keep, you know, the kids away from him, they're swarming him. He says, let the little children come to me. Don't cause them to stumble. He uses some pretty harsh language about those who would cause a child to stumble. That they would be better to have a millstone tied around their neck and thrown into the sea. It's pretty strong language. But Jesus cares deeply for children. And so kids, I want you to hear me in this. You are not too young to come to Jesus. Don't wait to learn to love the Bible and to love God. We would love to help you. And so kids matter. Children matter. Another implication from this is that kids were addressed in this letter. Now, I know I just said that, but this is, I feel like, a specific thing to draw out here. Children were addressed in this letter, a letter that was given and written to the whole church. This means that children were welcome in these gatherings. And we could overpress this point, but it's another good reminder that we all come together to worship God in the same way. It's communal, we're a family. And we fall into a bit of a trap if our measuring stick is that we would all come away with the same grasp, the same understanding of everything. We all come, adults included, with different attention spans. We come with different experience, we come with different knowledge, and we all share the same needs. We all have the burden of sin. We all need to hear and we all need to proclaim the gospel. So we gather to worship. Not to write an exam at the end, not to tick a box, but to worship and to learn to worship. And so I think it's significant that Paul addresses the children uh, to in a letter that would have been read in the corporate assembly of believers. And so kids, you're in good company. Kids for thousands of years have been worshiping with their families and hearing God's word. They've heard these very words. And another thing to consider as we think about the significance that children really matter is that this is a church-wide corporate investment. This is a church-wide and corporate investment. Robbie Castleman writes in her book, Parenting in the Pew. She says this, It takes the church to make disciples. Intentional intergenerational development within a church is rare in our our culture because it's countercultural. It's hard because it's biblical. And it's hard because it's costly. Everyone in the congregation has to die to themselves to be servants to one another under the headship of Christ Jesus. This is our corporate responsibility to raise our children in our church covenant. Those who are members of this church, we've covenanted this together. We say we endeavor to lead those in our care in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, of course, the primary discipling responsibility of children are their parents. But we were intentional with the language that those in our care, we weren't saying, you know, we will endeavor to lead our children, even though that would still make sense, that, you know, our biological children or something. We wanted to be intentionally vague with this, that we share a corporate responsibility We endeavor to lead those in our care in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's a heavy responsibility, but it is a good corporate responsibility. That we need to be intentionally inclusive in our services. It's our responsibility, whether you have children or not, to pray, to support, to encourage, to love, to work, and to serve to point our children to Christ. Caring for and cherishing children is not the message of our culture. It may sound like that, but that's not the message I see. Hundreds of babies are aborted every day in Canada. Even children that are born, we, even Christians, we buy into the lie that someone else should raise our children for us. We, we do as much as we can to distance ourselves from our children. We face a worldwide orphan crisis and not just far away in North America too. These are certainly symptoms to a culture that doesn't cherish children. Let's push against those lies. The Bible tells a different story that children do matter. And so we need to treat children like they matter. And we need to work in a way that demonstrates that that children matter. Not for a tick box, but because Jesus died to save sinners. And those are our children too. So children matter. But now, what does Paul say to children? Our second point this morning. What does Paul say? He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother children obey and honor your parents now the word he uses here for children doesn't specifically mean young children but just from the context of uh, of being under the authority of parents that is most likely who he's talking to children who are still at home who are under the authority of their parents and he calls children to obedience this is a clear and direct instruction there's not an asterisk there's not a caveat he says obey your parents We've talked a little bit in our house about what obedience is. Obedience is right away. It is all away, all the way, and it's with a joyful heart. You can write that one down. It comes in handy. Right away, all the way, and with a joyful heart. You take one of those away, it's not obedience anymore. It's something, but it's not obedience. Right away, all the way, and with a joyful heart. That's hard. Parents, you can think of this too. Think of it next time you need to obey something right away, all the way, and with a joyful heart. That's the picture that we see of obedience, what obedience really is. And we see a word, if there is anything that that we might think is a bit of an asterisk on this, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, some people read this to say that that is talking about Christian parents, but that's not what we're seeing in Ephesians chapter 6, that is only Christian parents that children are to obey. Says that Children are to obey in the Lord. Their their obedience to God is tied to their obedience to their parents. God has given children, parents, to have authority over them. And so in part of our submission to the Lord and in part of our obedience to God, an act of worship really, is how children are to obey their parents. Colossians 3.20, parallel Letter that Paul writes very similar to Ephesians in a lot of ways, but he addresses children in that letter as well. Uh, Colossians 3 verse 20 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Kids, God has given you parents. What a gift. And he's given them authority to lead you and to train you and to teach you. And so he says, obey them. That's God's word for you this morning. You obey them. Not just to to do the right thing so that you get bonus points or so that you can be rewarded. But we do that to honor them and to honor God. If you remember, as we've gone through the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2 clearly outlines what the gospel is in Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. And talks about how explicitly we are not saved by good works. But we are saved for good works. And so, children, you don't obey your parents for salvation. You obey your parents because of salvation. This is evidence of a gospel-shaped life. And so, kids, if you are a Christian, this is is your responsibility. This is how you're obedient to God. Just as we've considered these truths that are as much for you and as much for grown-ups throughout this whole couple chapters about how Christians are to live, because of the fact that we have this new identity, this is God's specific word for you this morning, to obey your parents in the Lord. And Paul roots this argument in the Ten Commandments. You may think that these words sound familiar, because they do. Uh, The fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments, he roots this in more than just good advice. He says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, this can be a bit of a tricky section to, to think of, well, what does that mean, that it might go well with you, that you may live long in the land? Well, Paul draws attention to this fifth commandment, and he connects it to the promises that come with that commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verses 12, and Deuteronomy 5, verses 16, but in this way, that that promise of land in the old covenant, he brings into the new covenant. What he's saying, by honoring your father and mother, you're not uh, you know, gaining this inheritance of land, the land of Israel. You're gaining an inheritance in God's kingdom. That by being a Christian, this is, this is how he connects this old covenant promise to a new covenant promise. And it's general. It's like a proverb. We can't read every proverb as, you know. That's exactly what's going to happen. It's general. It's like a proverb. And so it doesn't mean that you will be guaranteed a long life if you obey. But it certainly will mean that things will go better for you in a lot of ways. But more than just something practical or, again, as good advice, that's not what he's doing. If anything, he's pushing against that and anchoring it in these old covenant promises turned into new covenant promises. By honoring God, it brings spiritual blessing not merely something that's material or tangible. And so kids, I want you to hear me in this. If you hear uh, one takeaway very practically, I want you to hear this. Obey your parents. Like, ah, oh, Aaron, you already told us that. Oh, Kids, obey your parents. Throughout your life, throughout your childhood, you're gonna feel sometimes that you don't want to obey your parents. You're gonna have friends that, Uh, friends that tell you that you shouldn't obey your parents. But I'm telling you now, God's desire is that you would obey your parents. There's an exception. The only exception is if your parents tell you something to do, and it's sin. And you can know that by reading your Bible. And if that happens, come talk to me or talk to an adult that you can trust. But in anything else, obey your parents. And kids, this is hard. I wasn't a kid, I was a kid, and it wasn't that long ago. It's hard work to obey. And so pray for God's help. When you're laying in bed and you can't sleep, and you're saying, ah, oh, maybe I should go ask mom or dad for something. No, pray, and here's something you can pray for pray that God would help you to obey. Pray that God would help you to be obedient. Share that burden that you feel that it's hard to obey your parents share that with a friend share that with another adult around here that you trust and you know is praying for you because i'm with you it's hard to obey but this is god's word for us and he promises to help us so obey your parents now parents it's your turn parents disciple your children Disciple your children. Now you notice I say parents here. It does say honor your father and mother. But then in verse 4, it says fathers. But I'm addressing you as parents here. Fathers and mothers, caretakers. Paul addresses fathers specifically in word, but parents generally. The word here doesn't necessarily mean only men. It doesn't only mean fathers, but that is the literal word, and so I think they've translated it correctly, that it it is fathers, but the application here is broader than just dads, just men. One of the reasons why this word might be used and used directly as fathers here is at the time, in the first century, fathers had the primary disciplining and instruction role in the home, and so it's significant that Paul addresses fathers here. But this is more broad to all parents. And so just like we've seen throughout uh, chapter 4 and chapter 5, Paul gives uh, something not to do, and then he tells you what to do. He effectively gives you a job description of parenting. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This word here for bring them up is more than just raise them or keep them alive. That's a good practice for parents to raise them and, you know, keep them alive. But that's not what he's talking about specifically here. This word is the same as uh, we see in chapter 5, verses 29, for nourishes. And so this is why I've used the word discipling, or parents disciple your children. What's the definition of discipling? Helping somebody follow Jesus. That's what we should do for one another. But this is our primary responsibility in our homes to our kids if we have them. Disciple your children. Our kids may grow up to be functional members of society. They may be socially savvy. They may know how to throw a ball really well. These are good things. But they're not our primary goal. Our primary goal needs to be to bring them up to nourish them, to feed them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so I want to consider three ways that we disciple our children. I'll probably mess this up because I'm talking about discipline and discipling, and they look almost the same. But disciple them by your example. That's our first one. Disciple them by your example. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Your example matters, and I know it's hard. But it matters. It matters. It's not the only thing that matters. I'm sure there's people here with a whole spectrum of homes that you grew up in. Some gave great examples, others not so much. And so God does the heavy lifting. But if you're a Christian and the Lord has blessed you with children, we should not put up barriers to people knowing God's love. Like our children's obedience, it honors God, so does our example. God is not harsh. And so we should set an example and be an example of God's kindness to our children. Fathers at the time could do anything they want with their kids. They could do anything they want. They could beat them. They could sell them. They could work them. They could abandon them. They could even kill them without consequence. And so, this is a countercultural message at the time. He's saying, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And so, more than a father figure at the time, this not provoking to anger is a reflection of God's kindness towards us. God is kind, even when you were and are prone to wander. is the good news of the gospel, that God is rich in mercy and kindness, that each one of us carry a weight, a burden of sin. We've all rebelled against God, and yet in his kindness, he sent his son to come and live a sinless life, a sinless life that you and I could never live, and yet he paid the penalty for our sin. He died the death that we deserved, not just physically, spiritually, He carried the weight of our sin to the cross and he defeated it. On the third day, he rose from the dead, demonstrating that God's wrath against sin had been satisfied. And that by trusting in Christ alone for salvation, turning from our sin, we could know peace with God. Because he would look at us and see Christ in his righteousness. Because he looked at Christ who carried our sin to the cross. That's the good news of the gospel. That's God's kindness and mercy demonstrated in the most perfect way. We're in dangerous territory if we ever get bored of that message. That's our only hope. And so, a way that we can be motivated to love our wayward child is to know that God loves the wayward you. He called you to be his child, adopted you as his son or daughter. That's good news. But you and I know that we will or have failed at this many times as we raise our children. But I want to encourage you, friends, proclaim the gospel in your brokenness. We don't win any awards for being sinless parents or for thinking that we can fool our kids that we're sinless. They know that we're not. But we can model confession we can model that we too need forgiveness to our children we don't have to be ashamed of our sin and we can show our children that that is good news that we can say dad shouldn't have yelled like that will you forgive me that's a gift that we can give to our children I don't go out of your way to sin and just for that opportunity to confess, but it'll happen organically. But that's the way that we can proclaim the gospel to our children, both in our noble examples and our broken examples. Disciple your children by your example. Give them the gift of the gospel. Indeed. And disciple them by your discipline. See, discipline and instruction, these things are very closely connected, but just a few minutes on each. What is discipline? Well, it's formation, it's correction. And we see that the motivation for real discipline, we've distorted this a hundred times, but the real motivation for discipline must be love. We can see that the absence of discipline demonstrates an absence of love. The most unloving thing we could do to our children is to just let them sin unrepentantly. That's the most unloving thing we could do to anybody. And so discipline is necessary. Dan pointed us out to Jonah chapter 2, God's means of mercy through discipline, that that was a demonstration of his grace. It was a way for us to grow. And such a good description of God's discipline we find in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. It says, And have you forgotten the exhortation? That's a picture of discipline. Discipline motivated by love. We see this on a lot of levels. We see individual discipline. God's disciplining of us. We see these authority figures that we have as parents that that discipline their children in the Lord. We even see this corporately in uh, God's gift to the church. In church discipline. Motivated by love. These are means of God's grace that he gives to us to help us grow. The author of Hebrews points it out. Sometimes it hurts, but sometimes it's necessary. We think of all the physical maladies we can experience in our life, and sometimes that can be fixed by diet and exercise. Other times, there needs to be invasive surgery. And sometimes these things hurt, but they're for our good. And so the goal of discipline is not behavior correction. It's always restoration. Restoration. So a few just tips on discipline. Don't discipline in a hot temper. This is how we embitter our children. Discipline is meant to foster holiness, not unholy resentment against you because of your discipline. So this is not an opportunity to vent your frustration or your anger. Also, don't discipline in any way you see fit. We need to remember all that the Bible teaches us. Don't belittle, don't bully, don't abuse. You know this, this is obvious, this is common sense, but it's hard when the blood starts to boil. Right? When we feel personally offended, our pride is wounded. Remember, discipline may not always be pleasant, but it should never embitter, and discipline will never require us to sin as parents. And also, don't punish. Discipline does not equal punishment for sin. The goal for all discipline is love and restoration. So you need to discipline of the lord and then finally discipline our disciple rather by instruction this is the instruction of the lord we need to think and ask what's the one thing we would want our children to know to embrace before they move away what's well, the instruction of the lord we were reminded of this last summer as we went through psalm chapter one as we remember that any time it talks about the law of the Lord, that means the instruction of the Lord. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither in all that he does. He prospers And so parents, what what does it mean for your children to prosper? If you took a 30,000 foot view of your parenting, what would that tell you of what your definition is of prosperity for your children? We need to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Parents, your primarily discipling and evangelism mission field is your home your home. Point your children to God and his goodness and faithfulness. Teach them to read the Bible. Learn to study the Bible yourself. That's going to be good for your own soul, but learn to study the Bible so that you can teach your children to do the same. The goal is to help them grow in maturity. We got a picture that Paul talked about immaturity earlier in Ephesians that Someone who's immature like a child would be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. The goal is to push against that. To build our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We don't want them to be tossed to and fro. But too often that happens. Use different tools to instill biblical truths. Things like New City Catechism. Work through a catechism question. If you don't know what that is, there's a stack of them over on the table there. We'd love to explain how they can be used and why they're good tools. Building healthy rhythms of family worship. Based on Barna research studies, 85% of you would agree that that's essential to do in the home, but 85% don't do it. Your kids are being discipled. They are being indoctrinated no matter what. But you have an opportunity to control what they're being discipled in. It's your responsibility to show them God. and You can teach them to love the church. Ephesians tells us so clearly that the church matters in God's plan amazingly in chapter 3 verse 10 he says the purpose of the church so that through the church the manifold wisdom of god might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places this entire letter is talking about this new community that emerges because of the gospel the church matters in god's plan and so we can teach our children to love and prioritize the church come regularly Come on time. Come ready to hear God's word. Come ready to get equipped for the questions that'll come on the drive home or over lunch or throughout the week. Disciple them by your example. Disciple them by discipline and disciple them by instruction. The gospel is the greatest gift that you can give your children. And so bring them up. Nourish them. Feed them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Can we save our children? No. But we can point them to the one who can. We have no hope of raising our kids in the discipline and instruction of the Lord apart from the Lord. That sounds like common sense, but it's a good reminder. But there's good news. There's a secret to the secret of parenting and being parented. The good news is that we all had imperfect earthly fathers, but we have a perfect heavenly father whose very character is mercy and love. He made us who were dead in our sin alive with Christ. He is rich in mercy. And children, I know that you will not perfectly obey. You will not perfectly obey, but amazingly, we have a savior who did perfectly obey. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, was agonizing over the prospect of death. More than just a physical, painful death, he was about to bear the weight of the world's sin, the perfect Son of God, made to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so he carried that weight of true obedience, and he did it. He obeyed in a perfect way, knowing that that perfect act of obedience was enough to cover a lifetime's worth of disobedience. And so, friend, no matter who you are, whether you have kids, whether you are a kid, whether you don't, whether you're old, whether you're young, remember Jesus. He paid our debt in full. Trust Him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your glorious gospel that saves and transforms and changes everything. Changes the way that we interact with one another. Changes the way that we parent. But God, we ask desperately for your help. God, would you be with the children to obey, that it would honor their parents, but more than anything, that it would honor you? Would you be with the parents that we wouldn't provoke our children to anger, but that we would bring them up in the discipline and instruction of you? God, we desperately need your help in all of these things. But we thank you for the reminders we see in your word that children matter. We pray that you would help us in this. In Jesus' name, amen.